Well, it's wonderful to see you and to be here and uh, on this, this special day. And, uh, you know, I want to say thank you. Fissy and I want to say thank you to you. Many of you have dropped us little notes and cards and things just, uh, you know, saying thank you and saying nice things. But also, many of you have been mindful to say that, you know, this is an auspicious day, but also, a, you know, poignant day, not without some sort of some uh, feelings as far as Fliss and myself concerned. But I, I, I really want to, I do want to say this, that, that this was always part of the job. If you're doing discipleship right, you know, you give it away. That's what we're supposed to do. And uh, until we've actually laid hands on Mark and blessed Steph and the family, you know, we haven't finished the job. But with that, there will be some sense in which we can say, if the job is ever finished, that the job is finished. But I want to just say thank you to you and honor you. It's been our privilege to, you know, over the last 30 years, work with you. And there are still some people here who were there right at the very beginning. I'm just so grateful to you guys. And so we want to give God the glory and want to give the Lord another round of applause now. Okay, so uh, I'm going to speak for about 20 minutes, and I've been told I have to really speak for about 20 minutes, uh, and, uh, and then we're going to have our Ventureland kids going to join us, and then we will do the commissioning part of the service. Uh, but, uh, so let's get right down to it. And, uh, uh, you know, with the new year, well, let me just pray. Father, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity to speak. Thank you for the... Uh, the worship that we've just enjoyed. In fact, to be honest with you, that would be enough. I would just be happy to go home after that. Just to honor you as we did together was just wonderful. But now, Lord God, breathe on these words that we may, we may uh, understand and see and, and not just catch vision for the church and your kingdom, but also, Lord God, for ourselves too. In your precious name, amen. Okay, new year, new beginnings. And I'm not a great one for, you know, New Year resolutions and stuff like that, but I do spend the time to reflect. I do think about, you know, how did last year go? How did, last, how did I do personally? What do I feel I need to work on personally in my, what I call, secret history? Some of, of course, it is public because as a, as a senior pastor, you know, people do scrutinize you and your family, so be, be kind, be kind to these guys, you know. But, um, you know, I, I do kind of reflect on those things. And, and I think one of the helpful things is, is to always ask oneself, you know, what does God want me to do? What does God, and let's just put that up on the screen, we've got that. What does God want me to do? And it's a good question. You know, am I doing what God asked me to do last year? And if not, why not? And if I have done it, is it healthy? Is it is it, is it, you know, are there things I still need to do to, to just to ensure its ongoing health? And, and, and this kind of question works for me at every level. It, it actually works at a personal level, you know, my personal walk with the Lord, but as part of a, a church, as part of a community, what does God want us to do? And so, you know, I humbly suggest a few things. In fact, the list was long, and I've even this morning had to cut things out just to be really focused and really precise. But in answer to that, for myself, I need to remind myself that whatever part of the church I'm serving in, whatever I'm involved in, you know, probably the, 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 the tallest, uh, the, the highest uh, invitation and highest quest is to make Christ known. Make Christ known. 
And as I said in my opening prayer, you know, it's very easy, particularly in a church like this that has so many wonderful ministries and is reaching out in the community at so many different levels. You know, it's very easy to just get busy. Now, busy is not bad. You know, some people think busy is bad. I think busy is good if it's busy in the kingdom. I mean, you look at Jesus' ministry, it wasn't like he was chilling out with the pina colada, uh, you know, most of the time. He was busy. And there were times when he got concerned for the, the disciples and said, look, guys, come on, let, let's, just, let's just slip away. Let's have, we need a little bit of time out. Let's get into a boat. You know, things, let's get to the other side and just take a little... You know, he was busy. And so there's nothing wrong in being busy, but are we busy about the right things? And the first thing that I have to remind myself is this is all about, all about making Christ known in, you know, commending him to our society, commending him to our, our community. And are we involved in that? And do the ministries reflect that? You know, that's the lens with which we view every single ministry in this church. Is it doing its own thing, you know, being nice, being good, being helpful, whatever, or is it, is it making Christ known? Is it, can we see how it fits in with the whole business of commending Christ to others? And of course, then that becomes personal. Is the way I live my life, does, does, does that, you know, does that honor God? Do my neighbors think well of me? Now, some neighbors, I've had a neighbor that, that, that really, despised me, and that's basically because I moved her rubbish bag six feet, things that people fall out over, but she, but you know, sometimes you can't help, you know, falling out, but the truth of the matter is, you know, do, as it says in the scriptures, do you have a, a good reputation, and are you working in such a way as to commend not only you, but are you quick to say, well, you know, uh, I can't do that because, uh, uh, I honor Christ, and it wouldn't be loving to my wife to go to that, you know, pole dancing club after work tonight, guys, you know, or whatever. You know, we find ourselves in all sorts of awkward situations, don't we? So the first thing is, are we making Christ known? And of course, the great passage that we could drill down to is at the end of Matthew's gospel, often misquoted this, often just given half of, of what Jesus said, but we're going to read what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Hopefully it will come up on the screen. But it says, right at the very end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And very often the quote stops there, but it doesn't stop there in the, in the scriptures. It goes on to say, and teaching them, to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching them to do everything I have commanded you. So Jesus healed the sick, and he taught the disciples how to heal the sick. He reached out to the poor. You know, he, he brought in the kingdom. He demonstrated what it is to be a perfect son of God. And he says to the disciples, he says, I want you to teach them to do that. And very often that's left out. And sometimes that's because of churchmanship. Some churches genuinely believe, I'm just going to move this a little. Some churches genuinely believe it's all up to the priest and, and everybody else just sits there and goes ooh and ah. You don't look like the type of people that go ooh and ah. <laughs> just, just try it. One, two, three. No, rubbish. You're rubbish at it. <laughs> rubbish at it. 
But actually, the Father's plan for the church is, is that we, everyone gets to play. That's a Wimberism, the founder of the movement. He said, everyone gets to play. You know, we all get to do the work of the ministry. And in time, you know, we begin by doing everything, praying for the sick and casting out demons and looking after the poor. But as time goes on, that specialisms, ministries develop. And you find yourself more involved in reaching out to the poor or whatever. And that's the way it goes. But we should always be looking to pass on what we have received to others. That's part of the deal. Which leads me on to the next thing, doing the work of the ministry. And that is a very important uh, thought as far as vineyard theology is concerned. And it's birthed out of Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. Let's just have a little look at that, if I can find it with all my little bits of paper in here. And Ephesians 4, chapters, uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 11 to 12 says this. So Christ gave himself, uh, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, the five-fold ministry, as it's sometimes called, these holy men of God, these holy women of God, he gave them for a purpose, not to do it all, but, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So if you're going to lead this kind of church or if you're going to be part of this kind of church, you know, you're going to make Christ your magnificent obsession. You're going to have a personal secret history with him. You're going to make Christ known. You're going to view everything that we do through that thing. Is this making Christ winning a greater reputation for Christ. And then beyond that, it's an understanding that we are called, the leaders of the church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, some people are very happy about that. Some members of the congregation want to learn. They want to they pick up new skills. They want to operate outside their comfort zone, and it almost invariably calls you to operate outside your, your comfort zone. But... Others actually want to sit back. Others want to be served. Others want to be cared for. And that may be a phase that we all go through. I've often said, and we teach it in our, in our um, uh, Essentials 101, we, we say the church is, uh, is a community, you know, it's an army, it's a school, and it's a hospital. And sometimes you need a hospital. Sometimes you just got to come and you just got to sit and you just got to receive. And sometimes that's difficult for people. But if you stay in hospital, if you take up a bed for too long, there becomes a problem. You know, we, we need to grow up. And as we grow up, we might say, well, I need some training now. So you start sort of really paying attention to our training center here and, and going along to your home groups and asking questions and, and, and making mistakes. I think I've told you many and many a time when I first met John Wimber, I went up to him and I was an evangelist. I prayed for a lot of people and I hadn't seen anybody get healed that I could recall. And I queued up for a long time. I went up to him and I said, you know, at the end of a conference session, I went up and I said to him, John, I said, my name's Chris. I'm a, I'm a curate up in, in Leeds, up in the north of England. I've got a real heart for evangelism. I, keep, I have good success leading people to Christ. But whenever I pray for the sick or anything like that, then, uh, you know, it, I, I don't see anything happening. What am I doing wrong? And he said... How, and he said, like, I'll tell you what, you're a very young man. How long have you been in the ministry? And I said, well, you know, 18 months or so. He says, well, listen, you go and pray for 2,000 people and then come back and ask me the same question. I said, oh, beg your pardon? 
that's, but seriously, that's what he said. It's not enough to pray for three people and not have a good success. You haven't learned anything then. You learn by your mistakes. I'm sorry, but that's the way you do it. Just be polite and be kind and don't, you know, don't say horrible things to people like, well, you ain't got enough faith. You know, uh, you know don't lay these guilt trips on people, but you, you know, we've got to do the ministry, and by doing the ministry, we learn how to do the ministry. So the second thing then is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And all our home group leaders, all of our leaders, the hundred and something odd leaders that we have in this church, please remind yourself at that, the beginning of this new year, what does God want me to do? He wants you to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Thirdly, learn to love. <clears throat> learn to love. And this was a challenging one for me because... Uh, uh, you know, when I first responded to the call of God, that was a big issue. I was very, very hurt and very broken, as many of you have been and are, some of you. And I hadn't got much love in my heart for people. I, I, you know, I, I had love in my heart for my wife, but it was still pretty, I was pretty feisty, wasn't I? And uh, hard work to be with. And I realized that if I was going to go into the ministry, that that was a big problem. And I actually, when I went forward for the ministry, because I felt God was compelling me to do that, when I went to bishops and spoke to them about it, I said, there's only one problem that I can see, and that's that I hate people. <laughs> and uh, hoping that that would disqualify me, you know, but they seemed to think it was very part of the qualifications, which was very bizarre. And it became a problem. Nobody would take me seriously. They always did what you just did. They laughed, but I was serious. I'm, I, I really did have a bit of a problem with people. I just didn't want to have anything to do with people, and that's a whole other story. So in the end, I did what I should have done at the beginning. I went to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I don't seem to be able to get out of this thing. It looks like I'm going into the ministry, but you know, people irritate me. You know, I have no patience with them. You know, I, I, they just tick me off. And then the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, I'm going to teach you to love people, and it is your children, your biological children, who will teach you. And I thought, right, I can, I, I, when we were just starting a family then. And I thought, yeah, I could see that might work. So I gave the Lord the benefit of the doubt. And, and of course, uh, <laughs> you know, jury was out for a bit, but you know, okay. But as any parent will tell you, when you've got a little one and you've, you know, you're up for the third time in the night because they're sniffling and they can't breathe and they're miserable and your partner's out of bed and then it's your turn and you know, you, it's no good losing your, your patience, your temper. You, 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 you just have to get on and do it. And then, you know, as they grow up, you know, they become delightful and fascinating and challenging and exhausting and all the rest, you know it. And church is like that. Because although you may be 56 years old and made a glorious uh, commitment to Jesus six weeks ago, and you may be bringing a wealth of lifetime experience with you, the truth of the matter is that in the spirit you are a baby. And dealing with babies, let me tell you, every mum knows this, every dad knows this, is plain hard work especially when you've got as many babies as this. It just does your head in. 
But somehow, it seemed to me that as I, con as I served and as my wife tutored me and helped me and as you tutored me and helped me, um, over the years, something began to happen that began to surprise me. It was if, as, was if quite involuntarily, the fruit of love was born in my life. You know, the apple tree doesn't strain to produce an apple. At, at the right time, it produces an apple. I don't know. Maybe the apple tree is surprised. I have no idea. <laughs> I must go and talk to the apple tree in the garden and find out what he thinks. So forgive me if you're an apple tree and I'm being presumptuous, but I'm assuming that at the right time, an apple tree, a fruit tree, produces fruit. Well, at the right time, I began to, to produce fruit. And that began to, I surprised myself. You know, one of my staff would come to me with a tricky pastoral problem and would be a little bit exasperated, and that's okay. We all get exasperated sometimes. And I found myself saying to them, oh, bless, bless, okay, okay, let me pray for you. This is really getting to you, isn't it? They're, they're just broken. They're just hurting. If you give them a little bit of love, a little bit of grace, a little bit of space, they'll grow up and out of this. And I heard myself, and I thought, who is that man? <laughs> and it was God just wor working this thing through. And it was, it, was, it was him. And in that way, what God was doing in me was natural, but it was also something that I was learning. We learn to love. And for this, of course, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 7. It'll come up on the screen, I hope. And uh, it's in here, some, here we are. And this is a passage that is often confined to weddings. And it shouldn't be, because it is an extraordinary teaching on love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. See, I thought my giftedness, and I've always been a fairly capable person. When I came into the church, I, when I started in ministry, I thought the fact that I was gifted and could do things, sometimes better than others, was enough. But it wasn't enough. It isn't enough. It goes on, it says, you know, if you have not love, you are nothing. You are only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That seems like an extraordinarily tall order. You know, and I think... You know, you could be forgiven for thinking, right, well, this time, this year I've got to, as I did, work on patience, or this year I've got to do this, that, and the other. But actually, that's to misunderstand this passage. What God is doing here, what the Word is doing, is describing love. It is love through a prism. When love shines through, these are the things that you can expect to see. 
It's not this year's project is going to be, you know, something or other. It's actually as the work of the Holy Spirit works in you and sanctifies you and makes you whole and heals you up and as you yield to him. So the, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, begins to be birthed in you. And it is all of these things. It's not like a list. It's all of these things. And there are days when I, you just don't want to be around me. I'm like a bear with a sore head, you know, but many days I'm okay. My wife's still with me, and she's not disagreeing with me for once, you know. Many days I get a six out of ten, you know. So what have we got? We've got a little list, and I could go on with so many other things, but these are three priorities I see. Making Christ known. What am I doing? Am I part of that great, extraordinary adventure? that the church is called to, to make Christ known in what I say and what I do. Am I walking the talk? Is the church I'm part of manifesting and modeling the kingdom of God where the poor are taken care for? I, I have to say to you, not in parenthesis, but ministering to the poor is one of the most one of, one of the most challenging things and one of the most wonderful things. Because when you start meeting with and engaging with the poor, you find, first of all, that they are, as you possibly suspected, broken too. They are difficult, they are disagreeable, they, are, they don't always, are not as grateful as you would like them to be. They are very challenging. And yet, God gives you eyes, a heart of love to see them as broken, needy people, just as you are a broken, needy person in, the need, in need of God's forgiveness and grace. Isn't that true, Heather? <laughs> so we make Christ known. We equip the saints for the work of ministry. We learn that we've always, we've, we're always looking out for our successor. We're always looking to do ourselves out of a job. And we learn, and we learn to do it with humility and grace. It's part of the hallmark of a Christian, humility and grace. So, what does God want me to do? Well, you know, you may be relatively new to this thing. That what I've just said may be overwhelming to you. Well, I've got good news to you. I've got good news for you. John chapter 6, verses 28 29 say this. Let's just have them up on the screen. The disciples asked Jesus. They'd been walking with Jesus for some time. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? What must I do? And he went on to say, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I've mapped out in the broadest possible terms what the journey should look like. Many other things too. But let us never lose sight of the fact that this is just the work of the ministry. And I say just the work of the ministry because the most important thing if you're a brand new Christian, 
is to, you know, to make Christ your goal. To make him, as I'm fond of saying, and it may be a little bit further than you are at the moment, your magnificent obsession. Because the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. God wants to know whether you love and appreciate the Savior, that's Jesus. And as you do that, so actually as far as God is concerned, you made it. Tick. Now what are we going to do with the, 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 the next 30 years of your life? Well, that's what this was about. So, let me just pray now. Lord, I want to say thank you to you for your grace and your mercy. I want to say thank you, Lord God, for the call upon our lives corporately and individually. I want to say thank you, Lord God, that you've made the bar of salvation incredibly low. All we've got to do is acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, seek his forgiveness, and believe in him. But thank you, Lord God, that this is a great adventure too. And thank you, Lord God, that as we work together, we will see your kingdom come and your will be done. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Okay, let's just talk amongst yourself just for two minutes. I'm going to invite Mark to come up here. I'm going to put my jacket on just to, uh, just to uh, make... Uh, something of this auspicious moment. Give Mark a big round of applause, folks. Let me stand there. Let me just get, have we got the microphone? That's great, thank you very much. Wow, we've been talking about this for a long time. Thank you. We've been talking about this and planning this and thinking about this for a long time. Yes. I want to commend to you folks, if you missed it, September the 16th, the talk there. So, you know, there are going to be elements of this that you may not understand. There may be questions you might want to ask Mark. But we actually, uh, we announced Mark's succession on September the 16th and we also had a wonderful evening with the, our wives too with Wendy Howson and that's that's also on the uh, website do look that do check that out that gives you a little bit of a story about the key and various other things a bit of background but uh, you know that that may help you if you don't understand quite everything we're doing now first of all I'm going to read a scripture these are what we look for in a pastor, a senior pastor. This is Paul's word to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be a pastor, a senior pastor, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment of the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, pastors are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. And they must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve in the church. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith. That's Paul's advice to Timothy. Paul is away from the churches he loves, and he sends Timothy to care for them. So he commissions Timothy. And so Mark, if you just stand a little closer, I'm going to ask you some fundamental questions. Mark, will you make Jesus your magnificent obsession? I will. Will you make Christ known? I will. Will you equip the saints for the work of the ministry? I will. Will you seek to live your life by the rule of love? I will. And will you fight the good fight? I will. Would you all please stand? Perhaps you'd all lift a hand towards Mark, a very ancient sign of blessing. Father, we want to say thank you for Mark and his family, Steph and the kids. Lord, we thank you that over these many years as we have sought your face, as we have asked you, Lord God, to provide that, a man or a woman to succeed us, you have assured Fliss and myself that you would make him or her known to us. And we thank you, Lord God, that we and others in the church charged with this responsibility have seen in Mark not just a godly man, not just a man who fills the criteria of the scriptures, but a man who has passion and faith for the future. And so in your name, Lord God, I lay my hands on Mark's head and say, receive the Holy Spirit be commissioned and anointed for this task, knowing that Jesus, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will never leave you nor forsake you. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, many of you will know the story of the key, and as I said, you can catch up on that on our website. And this is the key, the founder's key. And so I'm going to give it to you now and then ask you give it me back at the end of the service so we can do it this then <laughs> <laughs> <Better> not lose it <laughs> yeah. but Mark bless your heart Thank there's you. the key the keys to our heart the keys of the church 
It was something that Jesus told us to do, and it is just a key, but there is something about it. And do you see the little St. Peter's yeah. cross there? It's just wonderful. So that is a, a gift to you, which uh, we entrust you with and ask you to pass on to your successor in due course. But other than that, God bless you, and you know that Fliss and I are your greatest supporters, and we, we thank God that the church is in good hands. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.